Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone's going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and a $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 167, the Christmas edition of the 4th Line Voice Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I should throw that in. Hope everybody's uh, got your Christmas shopping done. The Yule logs are out. The tree is up. The turkey's going. Well, I guess it's Wednesday that we're listening to this. We're getting a little, little ahead of ourselves, but... I actually finished my Christmas shopping today, finally. <clears throat> Managed to get sick. So, yeah, good times. But uh, I'm here today. I have a guest for you guys today. Uh, for the older, old fight board uh, folks from back in the day, he went by Chris Y2J back then. Uh, Chris James, my guest. 
today, and he is an old uh, Buffalo Sabres fan, and uh, he told some great stories about his bouncing days in the Buffalo area, where he ran into a few Sabres and a few New Jersey Devils, and uh, and uh, yeah, we have a we have a fun conversation, a couple fight fans uh, bullshitting, so. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to catch up with Chris. Uh, I, I used to, I traded tapes with him back in the day and talked about the message board back in the day, but it'd been forever. And then I noticed he was on the, uh, in the fight, in the fight groups on the, on Facebook here. So, uh, got a hold of him because I could remember his stories that he used to tell on the, on the fight page and, uh, our schedules managed to work out. So finally, you guys don't have to listen to me solo rant and rep, rant and raven episodes. I got a guest for you. So, uh, I'm not going to talk too long because Chris and I don't, I can't remember. We recorded last week. I think we go for like an hour and a bit. So, um, I'm not going to keep you guys for very long today. Plus my throat probably can't handle it. So, um, I'm going to make this quick. Um, I remember the hockey podcast network. There's over 50 shows in the network. Whatever team you're a fan of, there is a show for you. Oh, there might not be a show for you with the way that, I don't know, is the season over? I don't know. They're halting and stopping and, uh, hopefully they can get going again and, uh, yeah, crazy COVID. Um, yeah, it's too bad. But uh, so I'm not really sure what to, what they'll be talking about. They might be taking a, an early Christmas hiatus. We'll see. Um, but I'm sure they'll be back here in the new year. But uh, also for my off network friend, well, well, get this one. Part time Oli. Of course, he's on vacation. He got married again. Same gal. Married twice. Yeah, probably forgot the first time, so he had to do it again. Uh, he hops in the truck in Florida, goes down to drives 19 hours or something to Iowa. Yeah, that's like trading your house in for a tent, you know. But, uh, yeah, so he's out in Iowa now with Jay. Oh, and they're going to record uh, tomorrow. Yeah, they're drinking, you know, I mean, Jay's into the IPA, you know, chestnut ale or something. And then you got uh, part-time Oli there, you know, that fucking mud show, drinking his bush apple or whatever he's drinking. And, oh, they're going to record. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Just got on with the network, and he's bound and determined to get kicked off the network one show in. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, recording from some shed in Iowa in December. Oh, yeah, this will go over really well. Yeah. I said, I said he's the only guy who's going to get married and divorced in the same week. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, though, I, have not, I don't know about this train wreck coming up, but he does have, I will give part-time Ole some credit here. Uh, he, he does have a tremendous back catalog. Five for Fighting podcast. You know, Yablonski, Segroy, Rob Ray, uh, Mayotte, you know, uh, on and on. He, he, he has, he does have a solid back catalog. I'll give him that, but I don't know what's going on lately. He's been doing his best to tarnish that reputation. I try sticking up for him, but it gets, it's getting harder and harder every day. I don't know. And then we got, uh, uh, Broadway Joe, don't call me Boney M. Lazito. Out there, working MSG on the holidays. Holidays on ice, otherwise known as the, uh, well, I don't know, is it the ice follies when you talk about the Islanders? I know, I don't know, I hate hurting Joe's feelings around the, around the holidays, but I mean, geez, that's, what are we doing out there? Didn't they almost make it to the Stanley Cup last year? What are they in last this year? What's going on? See what happens when Lazito leaves Long Island? That's the thing. He's, he should keep his keep his ass on Long Island, and everything will be all right. As soon as he ventures onto Broadway, look what happens: the island falls apart. Oh, Broadway Joe. He's right now. He's he's down there. He's he's down in the village looking for Boney M's Christmas album. We got him hooked. Staniforth will back me up on this. 
He, he knows. Phony M Christmas. I couldn't believe the amount of jokers on Twitter. Who? What are we doing? I don't know. I, you know, I like to think I have cultured listeners, but I'm starting to question it. I don't know. How, do you, how does somebody not know Boney M. Christmas? What's going on? I don't get it. Well, that's probably Joe texting me now saying he found it. But Coliseum Chronicles, it's a New York Islander-based podcast. Another guy, tremendous back catalog. Uh, Asham, Strudwig, Dean Ewan, Trevor Gillies, Mick Fakoda. On and on. Joe does a tremendous job. Joe's busy. You know, he's down working the box office there in the in the in the heart of New York, Madison Square Gardens, the world's famous arena. Tell me you're not busy. You know. So I'm just out here in small town Saskatchewan, so it's easy for me to say. You know. But uh yeah. Give give Joe some Christmas cheer. Check out a show. Tremendous job. And uh yeah, I'm not going to go on too long today, but uh, he sells merch. Give it a look. Um, yeah, head down to MSG. Tell him you want to see Joel's U- Joe's Yule Log. Yeah, that'll go over big. That plays big with the Broadway crowd. Anyway, folks, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm hopped up on the on the uh, cough medicine and everything else. So, Buckley's. Yeah, Ugh, got that stuff. But anyway, let's move on. But definitely check out those two guys' show. Those They're good dudes. But uh, if you happen to be on social media, why? But if you are, if one's so inclined, uh, check out my Facebook page, as well as Twitter, Fourth Line Voice, Twitter and Facebook, as well as my YouTube channel. I have over 2,600 fights on YouTube, uh, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube as well. Uh, just go to my channel. Um, no, I don't want to restart my device. I'm... Don't worry about my device right now. Damn computers. Um, what was I saying? Oh, with YouTube. Yeah, I have all all 2,600 videos. Uh, yeah, I got them all sorted. So whatever league you're looking for, NHL, OHL, MOUSC, type it in. Boom, it'll come up. There you go. Um, I have I have a break coming up here. I have a few days off. Well, of course, like everybody does with Christmas. Well, hopefully you do. Um, so I'm, I plan on uploading a few few more tilts for you guys. Um, yeah. And hopefully just relaxing. I don't know. I think I need to kind of sleep the sickness away here, hopefully. Get back at it. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to talk too long today because Chris and I, we do, we do plenty of talking. Um, so I'm really happy to bring this uh, bring this uh, interview to you guys. I know it's been a while since I've done one. Um, normally Wednesday is interview day and then Sunday is a rant episode. But you've been getting a lot of rant episodes here for the last month, just with the crazy schedule and everything that's been going on. Um, I haven't had a chance to um, really pin down an interview. And uh, so I kind of, as I've, I'm regular listeners will know, but in case anybody new is listening, um, I have planned in the new year to, uh, we're going to, you know, once everything's, everything's settled here and the silly season's over with and we're back into a regular, into our regular scheduled programming, um, I have some characters uh, lined up to interview that I think you guys will really enjoy. And uh, a couple guys that have actually, I know, have never done podcasts, because they're not even on social media. They've never done podcasts before, so this will be like uh, new interviews and new stuff. So really looking forward to bringing you guys that. And uh, yeah, I'm expecting, uh, um, I know I'm going to probably do, I'll do an episode here because I, I do have another episode before uh, New Year. Um, so I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you about the, what I'm going to do, uh, 
uh, in the final year episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, but well, before I go, uh, I just want to wish everybody, all my listeners out there, uh, a Merry Christmas. Um, I, I really want to thank you guys over the year here, uh, for the, well, for the whole time I've been on the network here for, you know, what has it been? Almost been two years, but, um, especially for this last year, there was a lot of growth in the channel. Um, and, and I really want to thank everybody for that. Um, made some waves in the, in the, in the rankings and the, in the chartable rankings. Um, you know, that, that was pretty cool, uh, to see, you know, get up to 18 in Canada and stuff like that. That was pretty, pretty exciting. Um, you know, I know the word, you know, the numbers are kind of, eh, you know, whatever, how they figure it out, but still to see your name up there with, you know, spit and chiglets and Don Cherry and stuff like that was, you know, even if it's just for a couple of days, it was pretty cool. So, um, and that's of course, and then for you guys for spreading the word and, uh, and really, uh, you know, with the feedback and the, and the lists you guys send and, uh, and everything. And I really appreciate that. And, uh, and, and you're, you know, I love the messages from you guys and, and, and really supporting the, the, not only the YouTube channel, but, uh, you know, the, the podcast as well. And, uh, yeah, I just want to thank everybody, uh, again. And, uh, you know, and I bust on Joe and, and Alec all the time, but they've been more than supportive and Jay and Iowa and Dr. Chris and, and, uh, you know, all you guys, um, you know, uh, Jason out there in the, in the UK guys, Sam Bell, Searson, Paul, all you guys, um, uh, you know, I don't, I, you know, I won't go on with everyone's names, but, uh, um, and I'm not forgetting, I see you out there and I, I try to reply, well, like I'm getting so much messages, I just can't keep up. No, but you know what I'm saying. Try to get back to all you guys and, and I really appreciate the feedback and, and the retweets and, and the shout outs and that sort of thing. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's greatly appreciated. And, uh, and when I, when I say that, it, I mean it, it's not just lip service. I truly do. And, uh, yeah, and like I said, it's your guys' show, and and uh, so to hear that you guys are enjoying it, and and you know this is funny, or that list was great, and that guest was cool, and ha ha, you know whatever. Um, yeah, it makes it all worth it. I mean, because there's been a lot of times, you know, you don't want to hit record, and and uh, you know you'd rather just uh, you know, watch TV or not get off the couch or whatever. Uh, but uh, so, but to get the feedback from you guys and know that you're enjoying it is uh, is, is is what what we do it for, right? So. Uh, no, I want to thank everybody for that. Um, I want to, oh, all the guys, uh, can't stand up for it. has been amazing. Always, you know, uh, I think the guy's like the nicest human in the world. I mean, you know, he goes above and beyond and sent me that really cool probe and stuff. And he's done some great shit. And, uh, that's, uh, Fountain Tire in Lloyd Minster. If you ever need tires, I'm swearing you're in the Lloyd Minster area. Kent will hook you up. Get at it. He's a good dude. Go check him out. Even just stop by, you guys, his office has got cool shit in. Plus, he'll probably tell you a good WHL story. Fighting Toporowski or something. No, Kent's a great guy. I really want to thank him. Really want to thank Scott Giroux. The fourth line voice, official lawyer. Yeah, he, uh, he was great with, uh, with the selling of our house and everything. He was awesome. Um, gave me a great deal, which he didn't have to do. Uh, it certainly was not expected. I just, I needed a lawyer. He, he, uh, volunteered and he was great and he walked us through it. And, um, you know, I know, um, made my wife and myself a lot, I really at ease and, and, and let us know what was going on and kind of, you know, cause it's a, you know, a high tension time and stressful and, you know, and we're, it's like, we'd never done this before. I mean, you know, so with the buying and the selling and everything, but, uh, um, but he, he was great. So if you're in the Saskatoon area, you need a lawyer, Scott Giroux. Um, 
But no, everybody out there, I want to, uh, like I said, I'll get into the New Year's stuff next episode. But uh, hopefully Santa finds all you guys and uh, everybody has a safe and happy Christmas. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you guys. Uh, well, what is it? The twenty? What's the 26th or uh, what's Sunday? Sunday's Boxing Day. Yeah, so I'm going to record. Uh, I'll probably have to record on Friday, but I'm not going to record on Christmas Day. But uh, yeah. I might do a highlight show or something. Somebody give <coughs> uh, the idea of sort of a, a highlight. I'm I'm thinking about doing. It. Hopefully on Thursday. I have a day off, so I'm going to try to edit in a little highlight package, just of like certain stories or something that have been told over the year or whatever. You know, we'll see. But uh, we'll see how ambitious I get. But uh, anyway, let's get on with my talk with Chris. I'm just rambling stupid now. So, um, all right, you guys have a merry Christmas, and uh, I will talk. I guess I'll be talking to you on Boxing Day. Thanks, everybody. All right, here on the line from the four, on the fourth line voice, you older listeners from the message board days will remember this gentleman as Y two Chris Y two J, and uh, he is he is here to tell a story of the the uh, he was, well I heard he was the heartbreaker and the soul taker of the Buffalo bouncing scene, and we're gonna find out today what's going down. Uh, Chris, what's happening? How are you today? How you doing? Pretty good. Taking a little break from uh, work here at home. To have a chat with you, been uh, looking forward to it for a little while, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping to tell tell a few stories from uh, back in the day that uh, hopefully your listeners are entertained by. Well, you're you're long removed from your security days in, at the Buffalo Bar. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, that I I retired from about uh, twenty years ago. Uh, that was fun while it lasted. Got me through the college years. I'm uh, just glad I got through doing it for like five years or so and never got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, that, because of course that's how I got to, that's how I got to know you, uh, was through obviously fried chicken message boards and, and your, uh, your tales of, uh, what went down in the bar and some of the players that came in there and incidents and that type of thing. And we'll get to all that. But first, I mean, we have to, you know, obviously, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, Where did you grow up, and uh, when did the when did your fandom start? Well, Buffalo born and bred, with a couple of stops in Philadelphia and Atlanta over the years. But Buffalo guy, uh, Sabre fan pretty much since I learned to speak. <laughs> you know, my family, all Buffalo sports fans. I've been watching hockey with my dad. Since I was, you know, like four years old, maybe. Uh, my first memories of watching hockey is the fog game between the Flyers and the Sabres in the 75 finals. That's the first hockey I remember watching with my old man. Uh, so, you know, grew up a Sabre fan. And how I got into the hockey fight thing, a cousin of mine got a hold of some hockey fight tape from who I don't know. And it was just about as random as it gets. It was all 1980s stuff, all sorts of different leagues, not just the NHL. But that's when I got my first glimpses of some guys like Probert, Ruby, Koser, Jay Miller, and 
you know, definitely caught my eye. I'm like, wow, that's cool. What an entertaining tape. You know, it was like an hour, hour and a half long. And that was uh, my first glimpse. And maybe a few years later, there was uh, big headlines being made. There was some young fellow named Ty Domi in New York who was having some a big rematch with Bob Probert. And yeah, I, th- I think I heard about that. Yeah, I think you heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember hearing the name Probert, of course, and had seen some of his fights on that old tape. And I thought, oh, okay. Interesting. I'm like, that guy Probert, I remember, he looked pretty tough. And this guy Domi is publicly challenging him. I saw footage of their first fight and him doing the belt thing, which cracked me up. You know, I'm yeah. also an old you know, fan of old wrestling. I'm like, that dude's like a pro wrestler on skates. That guy's hilarious. I'm with you. Yep. 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 So, you know, watching those two fights, uh, you know, the rematch made big headlines, and I'm like, man, that was great stuff. A coworker of mine said, oh, you like those hockey fights, huh? Here, check this out. He showed me in the Buffalo News in the sports page there was an ad in the paper for a hockey fight tapes. I'm like, oh, there's more of these things than just that one old one that my cousin had years ago. Interesting. So sent away for a catalog that was Fists of Fury. Yeah. Andy Bamer in Minnesota was the guy running that show. Yeah. And got a huge catalog in the mail, and my jaw's just dropping. I'm like, oh, holy shit, look at all this. Awesome. Amazing. I want some. So first tape I bought, the Bruce Brothers. Of course. I think that's everybody's. Yep. Yep. Got to have that. Yep. So, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did you start uh, going to the the Sabres games regularly? Um, uh, 70s and 80s. I would, you know, go with my dad, see, watch the games. Uh, in fact, you know, I was at a pretty – huge game. I was at the game where Gretzky uh, broke a record. It was like an 82, maybe. I forget what the record was. I think it was the fastest 50 goals scored or something like that. Broke. It was like Mike Bossy's record. Was that the night he scored like five or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our our guy, Gilbert Perot, legend, got a hat trick in that game, but uh, got overshadowed just a little bit by Gretzky with his five goals and him crushing that record so yeah that was uh that was fun to to see that the 80s though you know that's when i could really understand the game i was old enough but kind of a dark time for the sabers (laughs) they had a nice 10-year drought of uh no play no playoff victories (laughs) they're in a worse drought now it's just no period but uh you know that's when i started really loving the game was in the 80s and once the turn of the 90s came about and you know I was in my older teens and that's when I got involved with you know hockey fight fandom Um, that's why I started noticing all the tough guys on the other teams and started becoming fans of those guys sometimes even above uh, being a fan of the Sabres you know, some of my favorite guys were fighting a saber. Well, I find myself cheering on the 
the heavyweight that I was a fan of over the Saber Fighter. So I guess I had uh, divided loyalties at the time. Well, and like you said, when you make the turn into the nineties, uh, well, you and if you're a fight fan, you were sort of in the perfect place uh, with those Buffalo teams. Definitely, uh, man. And just look at the names. Yeah, you know, Rob Ray, Brad May, Gord Donnelly were on the team in the early nineties. Yeah, uh, Mike Hartman a little bit before that. Kevin McGuire a little bit very early in the nineties or you know late eighties. Yep. And, uh, boy, just nonstop entertainment. I wasn't a huge Ray fan from the beginning. Um, you and I talked about this before a while ago. Uh, you know, in those early days, he didn't exactly win very much. And it seemed like he liked to pretend that he did win. <laughs> you know, even if he got pummeled he'd be pumping his fists like he won the fight. And at the time, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's a goof. You know, I I don't like this guy. <laughs> you know, and then he, he would get in some fights with some of my favorite guys, and I, you know, really didn't like him very much back then. But over the years, he definitely grew on me, and there was one particular week uh, you know, one particular time in the short season, the 94-95 season that was cut short by the lockout. Yep. And Ray had a few games, and he sold me. It's like when I, you know what, I like this guy. He's great. Look what he's doing for the team. This was the series of fights. He fought Dennis Vial of Ottawa. He didn't resort to any jersey losing, you know, Jersey losing is cool, but Ray was doing it a lot. I mean, he took it to an extreme. And often what he was doing, he wasn't losing the jersey so he could swing better and beat the shit out of his opponent better. He was just forcing the other guy to clamp on with both arms. He would get a takedown and claim the win. And I'm like, nah, that's not too impressive. But this time, fought VL toe-to-toe, and... Beat him. Beat him thoroughly. You know, Vial is coming up just short with his punches, and Ray is just cranking him right in the forehead over and over and over. They go to the box, and Vial, you know, had a little cut on his forehead, and I saw that Rob Ray's right hand was just hamburger. I mean, he banged it up. But he's, Vial's got a pretty hard head, and he was, bashing him right in the forehead, and then caught his helmet a few times. But I was like, wow, that was great. What a what a show by Ray there. Loved it. He fought Dave Brown not long after that. Yeah. And Eldazone did well. I think it was their third fight together. Fought him to a draw. His hand was obviously still in bad shape, and he fought Mario Roberge of the Canadians. Now, Roberge worked Ray over, but Ray wouldn't quit. And Ray couldn't really fire back because his hand was just still in a bad way. But I thought, man, that is ballsy of Ray taking on that guy who was just dangerous. And, you know, did as best he could. So I thought, man, that, that's some guts. And then not long after that, with his hand still messed up, 
it didn't stop him from spanking Claude Lemieux all over the ice in that one little brawl between the Devils and Sabres late in that season, which was just hilarious to see Ray uh, knocking Claude around. So from that moment on, I was a pretty big Ray fan. He joined, you know, my favorite guys like Domi, Koser, Brown, McKenzie, Brimson, guys like that. That's when uh, I became a big Ray fan. And, boy, the mid-'90s, that was it. (laughs) That was a great time to be a a Sabre fan. They were just an entertaining, scrappy, crazy team, and you never know what might happen on a night-to-night basis. (laughs) Well, no, exactly. Well, well, that's the thing. And sticking with Ray here just for a second, you know, it's like, well, and especially in today's age with guys – you know, trading and, you know, getting released and whatever. I mean, outside of the little stint at Ottawa at the end, which never should have happened, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Ray was in Buffalo the whole time. So you literally saw him come up from Rochester and, and well, for lack of better, like just grow up right in front of you the whole. Yeah, we got, I got to watch him, you know, become the heavyweight that he became. Yeah. You know, kept him around in those early years when he really couldn't win many fights was just his energetic play and his team spirit that he had and the fact that he could take a punch. You know, most other guys taking shots like that, they're down on the ice and knocked out or hurting. But, you know, wouldn't phase him too badly. So that kept him around. He was a spark plug. And he became a pretty dangerous heavyweight as the years went on he started developing some serious punching power and yeah. right around 95 or so whew, look out uh you know like i said you might not know what might happen ray might take a beating or ray might borderline kill somebody with some of those right hands so it's just a great thing to watch oh, oh cool thing to mention you know what kept ray around not only the energetic play um, uh, I was, you know, still am, haven't seen them around very much, but John Muckler, the late former Sabres coach, legendary guy from Edmonton, you know, I, I knew his, uh, two of his daughters, knew them pretty well back then. So, you know, I would hear stories and cool stuff that she would tell me about, you know, stuff her dad did and said and. Uh, his opinion on Ray, Muffler held him in pretty high regard. Uh, I remember uh, seeing Muckler once, and a friend of mine was with me, and this is outside of the uh, arena after a game, outside of the odd. And my friend was like, oh, Mr. Muckler, you know, hey, what do you say you get a hold of a big heavyweight, you know? And at the time, it was rumored that, you know, Troy Crowder was going to make a comeback in the NHL. And, you know, there's a young guy, Matt Johnson, in L.A. My friend was, like, saying, hey, why don't you get one of those guys, a really huge heavyweight. And Muckler said to him, he goes, you know, thing is with those guys, they might be tougher than Razor. They might punch harder than Razor. But I'm going to get 82 games out of Razor. Those guys... They're injury-prone, have issues. 
don't need him. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he didn't uh, make any bones about it and, you know, told my friend, you know, what he thought. So, you know, when you've got the respect of, uh, you know, your coach and GM, especially such a smart hockey man like John Muckler, well, that says a lot about you. And, you know, Ray certainly, you know, earned that respect of pretty much everybody as the years went by. But, yeah, that always stuck out. He goes, I'll get 82 games out of Razor. And he did. He won't get 82 games out of those other guys. That's very true. Yeah, and Ray <laughs> – yeah, Ray was the man. I mean, for a long time there, and, and like you, like we were saying, right? You watched him kind of grow, and and uh, yeah, and like we were saying, right? I mean, you know, you talk to fight fans, and you know, he always catches shit for the jersey thing, and okay, whatever. But um, when the rule came in and he had to keep it on, I mean, he was. I, I always thought he was better, actually. When, I mean, obviously, he was kind of in his prime at the time when the rule came in and whatever, so I get it. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought he did really well with his jersey on. I mean, and like you said, I don't know how many TKOs that dude had, but there were a few. Yeah, uh, I was one of those people that thought, uh-oh, I think Ray might be out of the league in a year or two. Oh, <laughs> you me know, too. The, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> coming on and i'm pleased to say i was dead wrong he just kept on going that was uh the 96 97 season yep and uh one of the things that made me think that he might be in trouble i saw um the first ever game at the new arena was a preseason game between the sabers and toronto non-televised game so this was the one round in the domi ray feud that no one's ever seen unless you were at the arena. Just never surfaced on any tapes anywhere, never leaked out. But, you know, I saw that fight, and Ray didn't do so hot in that fight. He obviously did have the jersey tied down, but he got his arm all tangled up in his arm. His arm was all tangled up in the sleeve and his equipment, and Domi worked him over. A little bit. So that was the very first fight that he had with the jersey tied down. Didn't do very well. So I thought, uh-oh, this might be a portent of things to come for Ray. But as that 96-97 season wore on, oh, hell no. He did just fine. Yeah, <laughs> and, he yeah, he was piling up the knockouts left and right. I can't, I can't believe in all your connections you didn't track down the game tape. Come on. No, dude, I tried. Tried. I tried reaching out to Ray himself. <laughs> Didn't work. So I don't know where it is. You know, if it's buried in some archive, I don't know. There were cameras in the arena that night because on all the news stations, they had highlights of the game. Uh, but they didn't show the Ray Domi fight. I think it's because Ray lost the fight. The yeah. Buffalo Station didn't want to put that out there. They showed Mike Pekka knocking out Rob Zettler. Of course, the Sabre won the fight, so let's put that one on the highlight reel. But they didn't do the Domi Ray fight, even though it was a, you know, it's a good fight. Yeah, Domi won, but yeah, so it never got out there. So, well, yeah, them. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously the team would have game tape as well. I mean, obviously every the team has filmed their games as well. Did you ever? Um, 
completely, I'll get into the Ray Domi thing here in a sec, but just, I know you were a tape guy and I know you made some, uh, some stuff later on, but did you ever have any hookups in terms of the team getting any game tapes ever? Uh, no, never did make an inroad there, but I knew guys that did. Yeah. Uh, real cool cat that lived in Cheektowaga, which is a suburb of Buffalo named Jeff Goodridge. Uh, he was around back then, and boy, he had his hooks in a few of the, the news stations, and he got a hold of some really cool stuff, some of which he shared with me. Um, you know, stuff like classic fights you've seen, but different camera angles of them. Yeah, yeah. Like the Brad May J. Wells slugfest from hell that they had in 93, yeah. 94. Yeah. This dude got a hold of a, a camera angle that's like the total other side of it. I'm like, man, that is amazing. So I won't divulge the names of the news people. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't, you know, I don't know where it'll get back to someone. I certainly don't want to get anyone in trouble. But Jeff Goodridge, great guy. And, and, yeah, he managed to find some pretty rarefied stuff, and he put it out there. So well, that's good excellent. on him. Yeah. Well, it's history, right? I mean, if, if, if Jeff doesn't do that, no one ever sees anything, right? So it, exactly. uh, yeah. So yes. Yeah, so for you folks, you younger listeners out there on your on your YouTube, be thankful for the Jeffs of the world that got that stuff. For you would be ne- we'd never be seeing this stuff. So it's the early pioneers yeah. that decided to buy a VCR and a thousand dollar VCR and then like twenty dollar blank tape and, uh, <laughs> and and record things. Uh, they're the yep. they should be <laughs> thankfully thankfully. But Ray and uh, Domi, how many of those fights did you see in person? Um, let's see. Let me count them. Okay, round two. Saw that one. Domi was with Winnipeg. That was their rematch fight after round one that was in Winnipeg. So I saw that. Good fight. Ty got a little edge there. Met Domi after the game for the first time, so that was pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Then round three, that was a Ray victory there. He stripped down to the waist and <laughs> poor Ty had nothing to hang on to and just got pelted. Uh, let's see. Then saw round four, which was fantastic. Their first fight with Domi as a Maple Leaf. Big slugfest. Great game. Uh, then the preseason game we just talked about. In 96-97, saw that. Um, 96-97, regular season, I was right there. My brother and I had seats right next to the Toronto penalty box. Great fight. And the thing that's cool, uh, if you ever see the Toronto feed of that fight, you see Domi go into the box, big grin on his face, and he gives a thumbs up to someone right next to the penalty box. That was me. (laughs) <laughs> if only the camera had just moved over just a couple of feet, you would have had footage of Domi giving me a thumbs up as he was sitting down in the box. So there's five. Uh, let's see. 97-98 season was there for that. Met Domi after that game, too. Uh, let's see. Then saw 98-99 season. They fought twice in one game, so I was there for both of those. So, okay, altogether, eight of the 14, 14 Domi yeah. Ray fights I'm present for. 
Who are who are you giving the series win to? Oh man, it's it's so close. Neither one of those guys ever genuinely beat the hell out of the other. No, there's a couple clear wins here and there. You know, usually the way the way to look at that, look at the color of Ray's sweater. If he's wearing the blue and gold, he tended to get the edge. If he was wearing the black and red, Domi tended to get the edge. It seemed that the sweater tie-down, the only guy that had a negative effect on for Ray was when he fought Domi. It seemed that that evened the playing field between the two. And when it was, you know, no jersey losing on either side, it was either a draw or Domi would get an edge in the fight. So I think overall, you know, Ty got the edge in a few more over Ray. But, you know, it's not enough for me to give the series, the feud win to Domi. You know, yeah. no one owned the other guy in that feud. It was just loved it. Loved every second of the feud. It was so much fun. Great to attend those games. Uh, it was more fun when it was Toronto because <laughs> I wasn't the only one cheering Domi on then because there would be plenty of Toronto fans in attendance. When it was Winnipeg, it was like, you know, me and one other guy. <laughs> well, yeah, with, Tor- with Toronto, I guess they're coming down. and Yeah, man, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, you get the Toronto fans coming down, you're in the old odd, the place is packed, and Domi and Ray are running around, and... Like, I couldn't imagine what... I mean, you watch those old fight tapes and you got Jennerette and his call and, I mean, you're sitting on the... I'm sitting on my couch getting fired up. I couldn't imagine yeah. being there in person. Just pure electricity in the arena. So much fun. And for the most part, you know, Buffalo fans know the game really well. We could tell when something was about to happen, when there was a powder keg about to blow. You could hear the arena uh, buzzing. Oh, here we go. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. So, you know, we loved it. We Buffalo fans loved it. The Toronto fans who came down and invaded the arena, they had a good time too. Even though back then it seems the Leafs would lose every time they played in Buffalo's arena or in the odd. But just a great, great time. Uh, So much fun to watch. Just hard-fought games. I really miss it. Going well, to the games nowadays, you know, you could almost like a mausoleum. Did well. I know you. Well, you were you were mentioning your interactions with both of them uh, per, on a personal level. Uh, what were Ray and Domi like personally? Super cool guys, both of them. Uh, you know, Domi met him. Oh man, how many? Three, four times. I would, you know, catch up with him at the arena in Buffalo after a game, chit-chat with him for a few minutes, uh, you know, get an autograph, get a picture with him, something like that. Just a pleasant guy, very accommodating to fans, that's for sure. You know, he, would, he wouldn't just rush to the team bus. He would stand there and make sure everybody who was there to get an autograph or say hello got it. So... You know, nice guy, very polite, very cool guy. Um, man, I remember after that preseason game, you know, I, I was chatting with him, and his uh, left hand was pretty banged up. He had a big bandage over his, his left uh, hand. 
And, you know, right before I, you know, let him go his way to the team bus, you know, I shook hands with him. And, you know, I said, hey, Ty, have, have a great season. And, uh, hey, take care of those hands. You have some goals to score this year, man. And he laughed at that. You know, he thought that was nice of me to say. <laughs> but I'm shaking his hand, and I pat him on the arm with my left hand. And I was like, oh, holy shit, is this dude solid. He may be a short guy, but goddamn, that dude was built like a gorilla. Yep. Um, and as for Ray, same thing. Super nice dude. Uh, great sense of humor. Uh, really, you know, nothing bad you can say about the guy. Real nice dude. Just about every fighter I met, I only met a few over the years, were uh, really nice dudes. Uh, Darcy Hordichuk, I saw him briefly on uh, the West Chippewa Strip downtown while I was bouncing. You know, just said a quick hello to him. Nice guy. Uh, Grant Marshall, he hung out at the bar I was working at during the 99 Cup Finals. Uh, He was part of Dallas at the time. He was injured, so he wasn't playing. So he had no problem going out and having a few beers. He was hanging out with Benoit Hogue, who was also injured. And Hogue used to be a saver, so, you know, he knew where to go to have a few beers. So the two of them were hanging out at the bar I worked at. Marshall was watching a fight tape that I had playing, and he was enjoying that. You know, nice guy. Um, A couple other guys. Uh, Rhett Warner hung out at the bar once. Quiet guy. One guy I met, though, that was pretty scary (laughs) would be Joey Koser. Um. He wasn't very talkative. This was uh, during the Ranger years. And Mike Keenan was his coach, and I knew Keenan had that team wound up pretty tight at all times. Even when they were winning and doing well, he was all over them. So Koser just looked irritated (laughs) as he was making his way to the bus. He signed an autograph. Didn't exactly say very much. He was just kind of... Grunting, hello, and that's pretty much it. Got a close-up look at that hand, though, and I'm like, damn, look at that. Just the scar tissue on every knuckle, that huge surgery scar on the back of his wrist. You know, I got a close look at that. I was like, shit. <laughs> pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, see, now we're, we got to get the dirt here, though. Give us a name. Just you can only have to. You only ask me one name. You, you ever meet? You had to have met a few assholes. Did you ever throw any of them out from the bar? <laughs> no, no. The the closest that got. <laughs> this is a story. I'm sure you guys have. You know, you that used to read the old fight message boards. I'm sure you've seen this story. This is the legend of Matthew Barnaby. Versus Santa Claus. There we go. Tis the season. Here we go. Let me explain. So this was October 1998, and it's Halloween weekend. So it's, you know, Saturday night, the Chippewa Strip is just packed. For those who don't know, West Chippewa is a street downtown Buffalo. Uh, It's like three or four blocks with nothing but bars. So it's a big 
destination for, you know, at the time anyways. I have no idea what it's like now. Probably the same, just different names on the fronts of the bars. But I worked at the House of Quinn at the time, one of the older bars. There's an outdoor patio. I'm at the front door just doing my thing, you know, IDing people, what have you. And I see Matthew Barnaby. Now, Barnaby had played in Toronto that night, fought Chris King twice. And I see that Barnaby is now back in Buffalo, made the trip from Toronto to Buffalo. He's hanging out with his wife and another lady. And they stop at the hot dog stand that's right on the corner in front of our bar. Ladies are getting hot dogs and putting ketchup and mustard on their hot dogs. Barnaby's talking to some fans, just chit-chatting, and they're, you know, they're standing apart from each other, Barnaby and the lady. Some idiot dressed as Santa Claus, very appropriate Halloween costume, is on the patio of our bar. And apparently he was having some words with the ladies. I don't know what he said, something inappropriate, I'm sure. And Mrs. Barnaby squirted mustard at Santa. You know, he's on one side of the fence. She's on the other side. She squirts mustard at Santa. Santa lunges over the top of the fence, trying to hit him, trying to grab him. The two ladies. This is what I see. I kind of, like, turned, and I noticed this out of the corner of my eye. I see, like, mustard flying in the air. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Why is she shooting mustard at Santa? Then a split second later, I see Barnaby. He notices this. He drops his hot dog, drops his hot dog, and, oh, man, my work phone's ringing. He drops his hot dog. Well, here, we'll pause it. We'll pause it. Jumps over the fence. Yeah, he jumps over the fence and tackles Santa. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? I go running, you know, from the front door to the patio. There's like a you know, 20 feet or so, I run over there, and it's just chaos instantly. I look, there's Barnaby kneeling on top of Santa and just starting the lawnmower on him. He's just wailing away on Santa's head. Our outside bouncers run in there and and are pulling Barnaby off of Santa. There were two cops who just happened to be walking nearby who also see this. They jump in, pry everyone apart. Now, I don't get involved in it directly because the cops are in it. Okay, I don't need to do anything. (laughs) So Barnaby gets pushed out of our patio by one cop, and Barnaby leaves. He just collects his two ladies and just gets the hell out of there. Santa doesn't want to quit. He keeps trying to break away from the other cop and our other bouncers. And he wants to go after Barnaby. Doesn't go so hot. Santa gets maced <laughs> or pepper sprayed by the cops. And they beat him down to the to the ground. So he not only gets pepper sprayed, they are wailing on Santa, and I'm sure it hurt worse than anything Barnaby dished out to him. They hog tie him. They cuff his hands behind his back and they cuff his ankles together. A cop car rolls up. They open up the back door. Two cops pick Santa up, still hogtied, throw him in the back, and take off. 
And I'm left standing there, and I think, all right, that was the single most bizarre fucking thing I have ever seen working on this street. <laughs> Just awesome. Tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine if you had had cell phones back then, how viral that video would have went? Oh, my God, man. It would be, <laughs> it would still be viewed to this day. Three million hits. <laughs> Well, and especially just considering it's Barnaby, too. Of all yeah. people, of course it has to be, right? It wouldn't be like yep. fucking Bob Bugner or like, you know, <laughs> Paul Cruz or something. No, it's got to be Barnaby. So be, what well, were your I'm interactions like? Did, did you ever hang out with, like, did you have any personal interactions with Barnaby? Yeah, uh, besides that, I did meet him uh, one other time. Uh, him and Ray started... Uh, TV show. Uh, it was on cable. It's just like a sports talk show. Um, it was called The Instigators. It's changed over the years. There's like different guys are in charge of it now. For a while, it was Andrew Peters and Craig Reve. Yep. And they, they switched to the radio. And now it's uh, Marty Biron and uh, another guy named Brian Duff are in charge of it now. But back then it was Ray and Barnaby, and I went to their first ever show, their first ever taping, and um, they, you know, we got to ask questions of them. Larry Playfair was their first guest, so how cool is that? Um, but yeah, I chatted with each guy, got an autograph, and and uh, managed to ask a question during the show for all three of them. I said, "Oh, who's the toughest guy you've ever fought?" And each of them answered the question. Uh, Larry Playfair said it was Bobby Nystrom of the Islanders. He said that was the, the toughest fight he's ever been in. Uh, Ray said it was Joey Koser. No big surprise there. He had a, he had a hard time with Koser. Yeah. <laughs> the times that they fought. Um, Ray said, he goes, oh, yeah. The second time I fought him, I went down to the ice, and he was on top of me, and I was just glad it was over, is what Ray said about Koser. And uh, Barnaby actually said it was uh, Chara. And I'm like, really? Chara? He goes, yeah. The guy picked me up like I was a baby and threw me around. <laughs> <laughs> so they're laughing, you know, about their misadventures on the ice. And uh, when I chatted with Barnaby later after the game, uh, this was like right in the midst of the Sabres were red hot. It was like in 2006, Sabres were on a real hot playoff run. And I said to Barnaby, I'm like, you know, the Sabres team that they got going now, they're great. But for my money, the best Sabres team ever was you, Razor, May, under Ted Nolan in the mid-90s. And that's what I told Barnaby, and he was like, dude, thank you very much. I love hearing that. So Barnaby, good guy. I, you know, I've heard stories of him having lots of off-ice incidents, but you know, I never had anything like that with Barnaby. It was all good. Yeah, I was I was a huge Barnaby fan. I you know I liked Barnaby. I mean, I I get now I get why people don't like him as fan. I get it as fans <laughs> watching him, but because they're always yeah. always like Avery, and it's like eh, not, yeah. But I mean, he would fight heavyweights and stuff. He fought like yeah. a ton of times, so I'm like, yeah, he's not really. But uh, I mean, I get the yeah. antics part, but um, 
Yeah, well, that must have been something live to see Barnaby's fucking shit show live and how he would rattle people. <laughs> yeah, he was a lot of fun. I guess you love him if he's a Sabre fan. If you're a Sabre fan, you love the guy. And if uh, you're a fan of the opposing team, of course he's public enemy number one. Yeah. Someone like that. He just knew how to irritate and get under people's skin. But to his credit, he backed it up. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would you know, he would pull some shit, of course, do a fake glove drop or pretend to be injured to draw penalties. Yeah, he did that. But he also answered the bell countless times and really paid a price a few times. Yeah. So I just gotta gotta commend the guy just for the guts. I mean, at, at his heaviest, Barnaby was like one eighty. Oh, and yeah. I think like hundred pounds of that hundred and eighty was just fucking balls. Yep, balls and lips. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say. I mean, he's said it publicly. I mean, he's he hasn't hid the fact that he didn't like Dominic Hasek, and there was a lot of tension in that locker room at the time when that was going on. Was that known in Buffalo? Yes, it was. Um... Basically, Barnaby loved Ted Nolan, loved the guy, yep. and was just fiercely loyal to him. And when Nolan and Hasek uh, had a personal falling out, uh, it seemed like it kind of divided the team into different camps. There were Nolan loyalists, and there were guys that sided with Hasek. And also with Hashik was John Muckler, the GM. So at the time, they divided into two camps. It was kind of like the Nolan camp and the Muckler-Hashik camp. And Barnaby was firmly on Team Nolan. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty tense. <laughs> I guess they eventually, you know, came to terms with everything after Nolan's departure. Because Barnaby did stick around uh, for, you know, a couple, how many more years? Let me think. Two more years, he stuck around as a saber and was teammates with Hashik. And, you know, you didn't hear about any incidents between them. So I guess Barnaby learned to keep it professional, I guess, keep personal feelings out. But for a little while in 97, oh boy. Just lots of stories of uh, confrontations well, between them. and What was the whole thing with Hasek and Nolan, anyway? Did that ever come out? It did. Uh, well, Ted Nolan was a guy who liked to party with the guys on the team. He would go out drinking with them. He would go out carousing. Uh... I guess Nolan, I don't want to say anything detrimental against the guy or anything like that, but back then, I guess he would uh, carouse with other ladies sometimes. Oh, yeah. Especially when he went on the road. And, you know, uh, I guess there were some incidents where he got caught. And don't know for sure, but apparently Ted kind of made some advances on Hesek's wife. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah that's, I thought, yeah, that's kind of always what I had heard, but I was just like, yeah. yeah. And, 
you know, someone like Hashik, who was an odd duck to begin with and pretty wound up tight to begin with, oh, boy, you have something like that weighing on his mind, and Hashik just snapped. You know, he absolutely hated Nolan on a personal level, and I guess I can understand why. Oh, yeah. yeah, I can see why. Yeah. Yeah. And But, unfortunately, it kind of bled over into team chemistry. Somehow they still did well. And yeah, the they did. Despite all this insanity associated yeah. with them. But, uh, yeah. What, what, a, what a scene, man. Well, the other guy, of course, that trio, that uh, that out of the three, I was actually probably the biggest fan of the, out of the three, was, of course, Brad May. And, uh, oh, Mayday, man. That's... Uh, the Mayday goal and everything else. I mean, I was a huge Brad May fan. What did you think when he showed up? Just the first round pick. He didn't even stay a day in the minors, just right to the NHL. And uh, Yeah. Put him right in there. Love May. I yep. mean, the guy was just, uh, you know, really good, solid player. Could fight like a bastard. You know, wow. Did he swing for the fences? Yeah. So he was fun to watch. Um you know, great team guy, everything else. The knock against him, and this wasn't me, you know, I didn't care, is that he didn't score enough because no. they projected him to be another Rick Tockett, another Cam Neely level of power forward. Well, he had the fighting down pat. He had the physical checking and hard play down pat, but never really had the scoring touch of those guys, no matter who – what line he was on, it just didn't happen. You know, he never did become a huge scorer. And he got a pretty big contract. And it seemed like it was more reward for the May Day goal <laughs> that he got the big fat contract. And sometimes he would catch some flack from press or some fans for not scoring as much as he should have or as they wanted uh, when he got that big contract. But I. I love the guy, and, and when he got uh, traded away, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was disappointed, you know, because uh, he was just so much fun to watch. And, and when he was there and when he was in the lineup doing his thing, yeah, he had the other teams on their heels, that's for sure. The, the other thing about May, man, he hurt himself in fights yeah. so often. Uh, I'm like, man, I wish he would uh, scale it back a little bit so he wasn't breaking his own hand or whatever else he did. I mean, I remember he broke his hand on Ulf Samuelson's face, uh, threw out his shoulder, fighting Grant Marshall, broke his hand on Brent Greaves' face, uh, messed up his wrist, beaten on Terry Karkner. Um, I know there are other incidents, but it's like, damn, he was on the IR list so often because of just self-inflicted Injuries. Oh, Ronnie Stern beat the hell out of Stern in a fight, but threw out his shoulder. It's like, shit. You know, it's kind of discouraging to see that, that he was just on the sidelines so often because, you know, it was great when he was in the lineup. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, to go back to what you were saying. Yeah, like, I mean, he's the first-round pick. He actually, and I don't know if people realize, but, I mean, he put up some big points in junior I mean, not only was he fighting and beating people up, but I mean, he really was the... You could see how they could project the talk it on him 
the label on him because I mean yeah. I was just looking here he had like you know 35 games at the end in his last year and he had like 70 points I mean so you can see why people were getting fired up about him and he started you could see it he had like 11 goals 15 then 18 so it was like oh here he comes he's coming right and then it was just that 18 was the high water mark and then after that like you said the uh the like he had the, like he definitely had the fighting part down but uh yeah just kind of the injuries and everything else took a hold and he never sort of lived yeah. up to that power forward. Had a hell of a career, but yeah, didn't live yeah, up didn't. to the kind of that talk at Neely billing, which is sort of unfair for almost anybody anyway. But, um, well, what a thing to saddle on a young player. Well, yeah, especially at eight. Well, it's interesting, especially back then. I mean, because a lot of times, like, I mean, nowadays they just rush, rush, and everyone, I think everyone in the NHL is under 21, except for Chara, it seems like. But it's like, uh, you know, back then they put you in the minors for like, I'm always surprised you never was in Rochester for a little while. And then, you know, it came up or whatever. It was like 18, bam, right into the league. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was always surprised because I saw him, of course he was an Ontario guy. So I didn't get, we didn't see him. Uh, we didn't really know who he was, but the world junior team that he made for team Canada, that the games were in Saskatoon that year. So that's where I, my first introduction to Brad May came. And it was like, oh, who's this? Um, like, you look at the roster, it's like, we got a guy on Team Canada with 300 minutes of penalties. Like, well, he's my favorite guy. I don't even know who he is, but he's my favorite guy. You know, that was the year Lindros was here. And, of course, that was the big hype. Every, and he was cool to see, too. But, I mean, man, I was there to see Brad May, right? So I kind of took an interest in his career after that because right after that he was in the NHL. And it was like, uh, so, yeah, that was uh, another reason why I always eyed up the Sabres was because of May and then, of course, then you throw Ray and Barnaby and Donnelly and the rest of them in there, and it's like, holy shit, this is my favorite team, you know? Like, but yeah, yep. I, I was a huge Mayday fan. Well, how nuts did you go when that Mayday goal went in? Oh man, I hit the ceiling. That was yeah. incredible. That was ten years of, you know, first round exits for the Sabers, and boy, did they break that horrible drought in just a great way. They beat the Bruins, huge rival, swept them in four games. May with this amazing goal. Wow. I mean, what an unforgettable moment. I remember I was at a buddy's house watching it and yep. leaped up off the couch and quite literally hit the ceiling of his living room. Yeah. Just overjoyed. That was just uh, an amazing moment. Great, great moment. And, you know, not only Sabres history, but NHL history, too. Oh yeah, like my my friends and I got the same thing. We were in Kenny's basement, and uh, he put that in. And I mean, neither of us were like we weren't really Bruins fans or say we were just like whatever. It's like, well, I hope it's either Neely or. And I remember joking, and I remember saying, "Oh, May's gonna score it," because we were just May fans, right? So we were just, you know. And then all of a sudden, he puts that move on Bork, and it's like, holy shit, and he scores. Like it wouldn't have meant much to us if it was like McGillney doing that. It'd be like, eh, you know. But the fact that it was Brad May made it all that. Oh fuck, we were so pumped. Yeah, yeah, that that was huge, man. When uh, May was gone, um, man, I remember missing him so much. I'm like, man, the Sabers could use a guy like May, just the grit that he had. And then the other thing about him, not only is a two-fisted fighting style that was just so wild. Holy shit, was he vicious when he wanted to be. Uh, you know, he would pull some serious Dave Brown, Wendell Clark level of nastiness on his opponents. 
you would have them down and would just keep going. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, nasty guy. Yep. Very intimidating, I'm sure, to play against someone like that. I yeah. remember, uh, like, two of them, two, two of the fights that stand out, uh, Troy Millette, when he was on the Devils, fought the rookie May. May knocked him out. The camera, like, got there too late. May was all, or Millette was already on the ice, and he was asleep on the ice. It's like, oh, shit. And then May just kind of bent over him. Yeah, one more. Boom! And hit him again. I'm like, holy fuck, Brad. That's a little much, huh? Yeah. This guy fucking unconscious. And you're like, ah, let me punch him one more time. And then he did that uh, again later on. Ken Baumgartner. Yeah. Dropped the bomber. And then just stood over him, measured him, and did that dive bomb punch on him. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that, that, as a fan, that one hurt because that was on Hockey Night in Canada, that fight. And we were massive Bomber fans. Probably more... Eh, I don't know if I like Bomber more than May. But I was kind of like, I wanted to see him fight, but like, let's just have an even fight. You know, it was just like, I don't want anyone to win. Just have an even fight. And then, and we never see Bomber get dropped like that. And it was like, all of a sudden, wham. And then he hits him with that. And I was like, holy shit, like... That was vicious, that one, man. Like, yeah. Oh, May could be a... He could be mean. Yeah, that put Bomber on the shelf a little bit. He got concussed. Yep. Big time. Yep. It's like... Yeah, that was was quite a game. Two Ray Domi fights. uh, Bomber and and May. And then... uh, I forget. I think it was before that. Barnaby just tattooed Kirk Muller in that same game. It was just like, oh, the Leafs had a rough time in that game. That was a game where uh, uh, Ray did pretty well against Domi. You know, he, he stripped down to the waist and uh, had his way. <laughs> Ty just had to hang on and, and take a few in that one. And then his two teammates get pummeled pretty badly, too. So that was the Sabres back then. They were quite a team to watch. They were. Well, I mean, I mean, we could talk all day about Sabre stuff. I'll throw a couple more names at you, then we got to get into your other story here before you go. But um, just, you know, of course, you know, as we go away from the Barnaby Ray May days, um, you get into the uh, Eric Bolton, who I loved Eric Bolton too, uh, and, and Andrew Peters kind of era. Um, were you still like, kind of active at that time in it, going to Sabres games and stuff? Not as often, because at that time, uh, you know, what was going on in my life, I was working a lot. I was working on my graduate degree a lot. I was, uh, God, uh, engaged at the time. This was a time I, I also lived in Philadelphia for about a year and a half. Had a job opportunity and moved to Philly with my then fiance. So I had a, just a lot going on. So attending hockey games wasn't high on the list at that time. I was still watching them. I was still all over, you know, the fried chicken fight boards and yep. stuff like that, of course. And at the time, I was still, you know, making some tapes of my own and, and putting them out there for, for people to enjoy. So I was uh, not attending games as much, but, you know, still a huge fan of uh, everything going on at that time. Philadelphia, that, that, was a, that was a fun time. I liked Philly a lot. Um, so it's unfortunate the job that I had, 
you know, as a mortgage company. And as soon as the mortgage rates went up, business dried up and they laid off everybody. So we ended up moving back to Buffalo. But I, I like Philly a lot. It's a lot like Buffalo. It's like a larger version of Buffalo. Crazy sports fans that eat and drink too much. That's Buffalo. That's Philly. <laughs> That's a lot of places. Yeah. But I, I really missed my time there. Um, it, it, actually, funny story with uh, <laughs> with making fight tapes in Philadelphia. Sometimes you meet some interesting characters. Oh, and... I think we could share these stories all day. I could tell you a few too, <laughs> but I'll let. Here we go. All right. The old tape trading days. If people only knew. One. If people only knew. Yep. Well, here's a good one. I, I won't mention the guy's name openly, but when I first put some tapes out there, and I would sell them on the fried chicken site and various other message board sites. I would get people who would email me, yeah, I want a copy of that tape. I'm like, all right, cool, send me a money order or a check. Once I get it, I'll send you your tape. Yep. And then, you know, I I don't even know how many, hundreds over the years of, you know, the the best of hockey's heavyweights, phase one, two, and three tapes that I made. Those sold like crazy. Oh, there was a time um, period. There was some good money in that, I can tell you that. Yep. Well, uh, yeah. My my wife, who was just my fiance then at the time, when she first learned about my peculiar little hobby, she kind of looked at me like, uh, okay, all right, do what you want there, hon. But then she saw the money rolling in. And she goes, all right, keep going. This is awesome. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, well, anyways, so right around this uh, time period, this is like, um, 2002, I think. Uh, some other guy who was based in Philly, who was also a tape maker, started sending me some threatening emails. He basically was putting it out there that my tapes were terrible, awful quality. What garbage? Get, get my stuff. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, okay, weirdo, whatever. But then he somehow got a hold of my email address, and he actually sent me a threatening email. Like, I'm going to come to Buffalo, and I'm going to get you, and you better tell you and your family to watch their backs. I was like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, who is this asshole? I'm like, you're sending me threatening emails over fight tapes. Okay. Uh Well, other people who were involved in our hobby were noticing this drama taking place on the message boards. And uh, they sent me the guy's picture and his name and his address. And, you know, the guy was um, not physically threatening, I guess is the best way to put it, a nice way to put it. They usually never are, yeah. (laughs) Uh, No. Uh, This is a guy, I think he watched the fight tapes a little too much and started to believe that he was one of those guys fighting on the tape. But... In reality, he was this tiny, emaciated guy with blue hair. He dyed his hair blue. He just—he looked absurd. And I, like I said, got his name and his address. Now, as luck would have it, this was right around the time I had the job opportunity in Philadelphia. I had an uncle that lived there. 
my mom wanted to visit Philly, visit her brother. So I'm like, oh, you know what, Mom? I'll do a road trip with you, and I can interview for this company. Maybe I'll, you know, ju- you know, go live somewhere else, live in Philly, live near my uncle. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do a little road trip. <laughs> so drove to Philly, dropped Mom off at her brother's house, my uncle's house, and then I paid a visit to this guy's house, this uh guy the, the tape maker who did the threats tremendous yep. and this was me in my younger years you know i i could lose my temper a little bit here and there too when i was younger well i've so seen I, you're you're a pretty big dude too back then you're a pretty big dude i've seen it so yeah i could see it. you'd scare a guy with blue hair yeah <laughs> just a bit <laughs> but yeah here i am thinking i'm like all right i'm gonna go to this guy's house and when he answers the door i'm gonna choke him out that was that was my intent i was gonna wrap my hands around his neck and just choke him out and then leave was my intention but luck would have it he was not home no one was home so ran back to my my truck and wrote out a note hi you know i addressed it to the guy i'm like hi Hello from your soon-to-be neighbor from Buffalo, New York. Because, you know, the job interview went pretty well, and I was, at that point, committed to moving to Philadelphia in a few months. So I wrote that and stuck it on his door. (laughs) So I get back to Buffalo a few days later, and I'm checking email, and, of course, the threats come from him. Oh, you're lucky I wasn't home. I would have done this and that and the other thing. I'm like, yeah, sure you would have. Well, I do move, you know, to Philadelphia. But when I was doing the tape selling and trading, I didn't use my address. I got a P.O. box. And that's how I did business. So this guy didn't know where I lived, but I knew where he lived. So I I let him kind of know that kind of like that scene in Goodfellas. You may not know who we are, but we know who you are. That was kind of the tone of the email I sent him. Hey, you may not know where I live, but I know where you live. And that was the end. Not a single threatening message or word or anything. (laughs) That was that. But I'm telling you, a few of the people, just about everybody that I uh, traded tapes with, super cool people. You know, fans like us. But every now and then you get a wacko. And oh yes, oh yes. I have a few. I have a few stories. Maybe in one of the episodes, I will share some of my stories with a few of the with the listeners. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's funny you mentioned Philly. I'll have to off air. We'll talk because a a friend of mine who happened to be playing in Philadelphia, the Miners at the time, uh, a certain individual ripped him off of a tape trade. So my friend and Sasha Lakovic went to this person's house, and oh, uh, shit. yeah, needless to say, he got he, he got the tapes that he was owed. So it was uh, <laughs> not that he needed Sasha Lakovic with him, but Sasha happened to be playing roller hockey on the same team with him in the summer, and uh, they decided to make a trip over. They were hanging around, not doing anything. Yeah, so that guy was it. That guy, I could have, I would have loved to have seen the look on that guy's face. And uh, I'm actually wondering if it was the same guy that you were talking about. So, yeah, well, 
Could very well be. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk off the air, and uh, I'll name some names, and we'll see if it's the same guy. If it is, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, that was a tremendous story, and I know uh, I, I won't keep you too much longer, but I know from I first, I mean, we traded taste back in the day and everything else, <clears throat> but the one, t- and I brought this up when we first made contact here recently, that the story I remember you most for on fried chicken was the night that you were working in the bar and Jim McKenzie, Randy McKay, and Martin Brodeur showed up. And, yeah. uh, and you shared that whole saga, um, online and stuff. Um, yeah, just like, what was it just like hanging out with those guys? I mean, we, I, I won't, you know, you don't have to tell the whole, uh, you know, the whole reader's digest story of it, but I mean, <laughs> just, uh, give us some highlights of that meeting. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, that was, so cool. Again, uh, I'm working at a bar downtown Buffalo, and that's a Thursday night. Sabres had played the Penguins that night. I went to the game, then went to work after the game. Our bar's hopping, super busy. One of my other bouncers says, hey, I think we have some uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in attendance. I'm like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, real huge guys in suits, and they look like hockey. They look Canadian, <laughs> is how he put it. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, I guess Canadians have a look. So anyways, I'm like, all right, I'll go to the front of the bar and see who it is, see if it's someone I recognize. Go to the front, and there's Jim McKenzie standing there, and my jaw drops. I'm like, oh, wow. Here's what I'm able to, you know, it's not a Pittsburgh Penguin. It's a New Jersey Devil. And I'm like, holy shit. And I say to him, dude, you're Jim McKenzie, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm shaking his hand. I'm totally, like, welcoming him to the bar. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm a huge fan of yours. What are you doing here? And, you know, the Sabres were going to play the Devils on Saturday. So this is, you know, two nights before. And he said, oh, you know, we're in town early and, you know, had, had an opportunity for a little recreation. So here we are. I'm like, oh, cool. And I look, and there's Randy McKay, who's, you know, not too far away. And same reaction. I'm like, oh, my God, Randy McKay is here. Holy shit. So, you know, I ask him, can I get a picture with you guys? And they said, yeah, sure, of course. So as I'm getting pictures with them, I hear another voice. Oh, do you want me in a picture, too? And I look, and there's Martin Brodeur sitting at the bar, this crowded bar. And I wasn't busting his balls. I meant it. I said, oh, no, it's okay. I, I just want a picture with these guys. Either, these are the guys that dropped the gloves. These are my guys. And Brodeur just sat there with his jaw open. Mackenzie and McKay were pointing at him and laughing. Aha, he doesn't care about you, superstar. Take a seat. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. And Brodeur started laughing, too. He goes, what? Okay, fine. You don't want my picture. What do you mean? I don't drop the gloves. I'll drop the gloves with you. So totally cool guy, Rodor and Mackenzie and McKay too. But I brought them to the back of the bar where I had one of my fight tapes playing. And uh, basically they were just banging down beers and shots all night. Just having a good old time watching the fight tapes. And uh, talk. McKay was pretty quiet. You know, he only talked a little bit here and there. 
he's got that really hoarse voice for when he got punched in the throat by Cam Russell. So I think he didn't like to speak a lot. I think it maybe hurt for him to talk a lot because he had that very real gravelly voice because of that uh, injury. But McKenzie, man, we, we talked for like four hours just about fights and other fighters, and he was just offering commentary on the tape as we were watching it. And it was just great to get his unvarnished opinions on certain guys. I was going to say, was he, was, he pretty, was he pretty open and honest with stuff? Well, very much, yeah. Yeah, he was, if he, you know, respected and liked another guy, he was singing their praises. If he didn't like a guy, he had no problem saying what was on his mind. For the most part, there were very few of those. He didn't talk shit about too many people, just a couple guys here and there, that he didn't like on a personal level. Uh, most notably was Domi. He did not like Ty on a personal level at all. He did say, oh, okay, he's, he's really tough, but I uh, just don't like that guy. And I'm not surprised, given the history of Domi and the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, not exactly a, a a wonderful relationship there. So I'm not surprised that McKenzie didn't yeah. like Domi on a personal level. But um, yeah, he liked just about everyone else, and it was just such a cool time. And you know, McKenzie hooked me up with tickets to the game that was on Saturday, which was real nice of him. Um, I gave him a copy of the the tape because I always had copies for sale at the bar. So I'm like, here, take it, enjoy it. You and Randy are all over the tape, so enjoy it. Um, Yeah, just a real memorable, awesome, great time. And uh, that was really, really cool. Nothing, Nothing but good things to say about those three guys. Well, there you go. They're, uh, yeah, they're, uh, you, you, you got some with some bar memories, some stories, uh, some saber story. You've uh, you've hit, you've touched on a few things. Well, this certainly won't be um, the last time I have you on the show. I hope. I hope you want to come back and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk more. But before I get let you out of here, <laughs> I know you're a big fan. You're 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 public enemy number one in the Probert fan group on Facebook right now. So I, I don't know. Associating with you is going to get me kicked out, I think. But um, it might. You, yeah. Well, you were talking. Of course, the people that listen to this show regularly know that uh, I do a myth and reality portion of the show, and you know, talk about whatever. Well, you wanted to do one uh, about Bob Probert. Um, so I am like completely backing away from this because I don't want it to get on me. But uh, what is your myth versus reality about Bob Probert, sir? Just to make it clear, love me some Bob Probert. As I mentioned early, he's the reason I got into hockey fight fandom. You know, the guy's a legend. But that being said, some of the people on that Probert fan club page were totally sold on some myths about the guy. Namely, myth number one, he's never lost a fight. You know, I'm like, uh... I'm like, he, he has, and, you know, I'm trying to explain to them, sure, every fighter has lost some. 
it's not a knock against him to admit that he lost some fights. It would get better when I would show some clips of, you know, a couple where Probert lost the fight. They would come out of the woodwork with mitigating circumstances for why he lost the fight. There's always a reason why that made it unfair, that kind of, uh, you know, undercut the, the victory of his opponent. You know, the first tri- Troy Crowder fight. Oh, Probert stepped on a stick. I'm like, okay, what about the nine or ten punches that Crowder hit him in the face with? You know, I think that is really what did it. Yeah, he stumbled a little bit, but that's not the reason Crowder won. I'm like, he was already tagging him before Proby stepped on the stick. So stuff like that is all over, not just the Probert fan club page, but, you know, on other pages, too, that are on Facebook. Oh, it used to, yeah, it used to be on the old fight board, too. Like you'd have your you'd have your guys right that uh, I mean everyone had their favorite guy whatever and the talk could get stupid and Homer sometimes but yeah a lot of it with Probert and stuff and I guess uh, on these groups I agree well and on my past episodes people that regularly listen have heard I've ranted and raved about these same things about what about these groups and and the comments that come out but um, but yeah, yeah it's it's definitely uh, and then. The- the hypocrisy. Yes. Too. Uh, um, you know, like Prover, you know, he had plenty of incidents where he did some dirty stuff with his stick, you know, an elbow or, or something. Oh, yeah. But, you know, they don't believe it. Even, even if you put up the video, they won't even respond. They'll just ignore it like it didn't happen. Yet they'll rant and rave and scream about cheap shots that guys like, Domi or Brown or Clark or McSorley. They'll they'll go on for ages about dirty stuff that those guys have committed. Um, the other, you know, I don't know, myth versus reality. The other thing they do when it comes to discounting any losses that Probert's taken, they seem to not count anything where he was a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, he was past his prime. Yeah, that, those, that doesn't matter. He was past his prime. I'm like, okay, come on. This wasn't like his last year in the league. He played in Chicago for seven years. No, he wasn't quite the champ anymore, but he was still one of the top dogs. So, you know, someone gets a win over him, it's still a big deal. Yep. It's still a big feather in their cap. It's not like they're acting like uh, – Ah, it doesn't matter. He wasn't he wasn't a Red Wing, so it doesn't matter. Yet those same people will crow about Probert the Blackhawk beating Scott Parker. Oh, that just shows you Proby's the man. Proby is the best. Proby's the champ. I'm like, wait a minute. He was a Blackhawk. I thought those fights don't matter. So it just matters, like, <laughs> to them in their heads. Uh, they're just... They're blind. That's just all I can say. And uh, it's just unfortunate. I was kind of making a little headway with the Probert fan club. In the past couple of weeks, I was finding old pictures of Probert and his fights and some clips 
that they maybe hadn't seen. I was putting some of his biggest triumphs out there for them to see, as well as some of his defeats, just to show, hey, this guy was human. He's not a flawless god like you guys are making him out to be. And I was trying to show like some of his opponents. I'm like, all right, these guys are worthy of respect as well. But no, from the fan clubbers, you just hear, Proby is the GOAT. He's number one. No one else is even close. I'm like, really? No one else is even close? Yeah, that's that's the one that gets me. And, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you can say he's number one. I Like like I said, if I did a top ten, I would have him at number one. Of course, it's apropos. We had just, just did the top ten episode. So I won't. Well, I'll, here, I'll let you. For your top ten that you submitted to me for the for the show the other day, who did you have at number one and why? Dave Brown. Okay. And Probert number two. It, it's super close. Yep. But what puts Brown over the edge for me, it's not just my opinion, it's the opinion of their peers, the guys that fought both of them. And it's not just one or two guys saying this. It was more like 20 just kind of recently, a few months ago, I was cruising through lots of books that I own about hockey and fighters and stuff with interviews, and I was just looking for people commenting on Brown and Probert. And, uh, yeah, I got to about 20 guys that all said that Brown was the cream of the crop. Brown was the guy that they dreaded and feared. It seemed that Probert had universal respect, but Brown had universal fear going for him. And that's what makes him number one in my book. You know, it's not just me as a fan watching what he does. It's what his uh, fellow tough guys had to say. And, man, it was a lot of them. Grimson, Berube, uh, Domi. Ray, Mackenzie, McKay. Um, God, I'd, I'd have to look at the list. But, yeah, I found quite a few quotes, and I, I put it out there on the Enforcer Appreciation page and, and another page or two. And, of course, you know, the Probert people come out of the woodwork. Oh, Proby kicked his ass. Proby's the goat. And I'm like, oh, Christ, help me. I'm like, you put too much stock in that one fight when Brownie was an oiler. I'm like, look, I, you have to look at the overall body of work that both guys had and then kind of make your judgment from there. And it seemed to me that Brown just had more wins, hurt more people than Probert did. You know, if you want to use that logic... Let me turn this on you. I guess that means that Todd Ewan is better than Probert, right? Because Ewan knocked Probert out, put him to sleep. And then Probert never paid him back for that. Well, I guess that means Ewan's the GOAT. Ewan's the best ever, right? Of course not. That's not true. You know, we all know that, you know, Probert overall was better than Todd Ewan, despite the fact that, Ewan knocked out Probert in that first fight of theirs. 
you got to apply that to everything, not just that instance. So even though, you know, in their two fights that they had, one was kind of a non-eventer and the other one, Probert came back and dropped Brown, that doesn't mean, oh, oh that's that settles it. Pro, you know, Probert's the GOAT. I'm like, okay, I guess Herb Raglan is better than Joey Coaster then, right? Yeah, no Morissette got him too, so what does that say? Yeah. Oh, I guess Chris Tamer is the GOAT. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tried to talk sense, but yeah, it doesn't work. And then oh, when I made the mistake of putting up a clip of Chris Simon defeating Probert in 96, well, I guess that was the final straw for the Probert fan club, and they booted me off the page. You get the bouncer got bounced. Yep. I did. <laughs> I got shown the door. Yep. Well, that, I think that's the thing, right? And I think a lot of people forget. Like, even when I was putting, oh, coming tomorrow, the top 10, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, it's Paul Burton and everyone else. Well, yeah, but I'm like, it ended up that way. But I, I said it, um, this idea that, um, like, I'm fully on board with you that this idea that, oh, it's Probert and no one else is close is ridiculous. Um, myself, I, I still had Probert at number one, but I can completely get, I get the Brown argument. I understand the Ben Wilson argument as well. It's like, yeah. I, I get it. And there's a lot, like you said, in the, the Probert, well, when they fought, this happened. Well, there's a lot of fights in between with mutual guys that went different ways too. So yeah, I think the entire body of work definitely needs to be looked at. You can't just look at it through you know, one or two instances when they put, especially when they had that many fights, all those guys. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like I said, there was a bunch of people that had Brown and a couple of people with Wilson, number one on their list. It Can't wasn't, argue against, you know, yeah, I won't argue against any of those three guys. No one having them number one. No, but Man, I think, but I think good. it's a very, it's a, it's a good discussion to have. And it's certainly not out of the realm. Like I think reasonable, like actual fight fan, whatever can will can get behind it and understand it. You might not agree. They might have Probert at number one again too. But I mean, they'll at least listen and be like, "Yeah, you know." I mean, the people on that Probert. I mean, that's so far out of. They're not. You're not going to get any reasoning out of that. But I mean, uh, no. I think yeah, it, it's yeah. certainly a it's, a it's a it's a worthwhile discussion for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the more I saw and read about Dave Brown, you know, that's when I was like, you know what? I I really think he's number one. You know, the more I, I find out about him. And, you know, I've seen the fights, of course, forever. And always had him, you know, if Probert's number one, Brown was number one A. But what uh, made me think, you know, I think it is Brown who's truly the greatest of all time, was just a word of all those other guys, especially Stu Grimson. He yeah. talks at length about his uh, fights with, with Brown, and, you know, he said it. I've fought both of those guys. He goes, a lot of fans seem to put the crown on Probert's head, but I'll tell you, Brown hits way harder than Probert ever did. Night and day harder. It's like being kicked by a mule. Those are Grimson's words. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, and uh, just one more quick thing. You know, like I said, I got a connection somewhat to the Muckler family. And uh, 
there's a great story, and I think our friend Alec had it in his interview with Ray. The first time that Ray squared off with Dave Brown, Ray said that Muckler, who was the Sabre coach and used to coach Brown in Edmonton, yelled from the bench, Razor, don't do it! <laughs> you know, Muckler was all too familiar with, you know, what a mass murderer on skates Brown was. And Ray at the time was still coming up and hadn't had a lot of success quite yet. And when Ray pulls off a win against Brown, I mean, it was a surprise to everybody. I'm sure Muckler was surprised. All the fans were surprised. And I think Ray was surprised. (laughs) He said so. He's like, oh, holy shit. I beat Brown. Oh, my God. Or, you know, at the very least got the edge over Brown. Um, That was kind of the turning point for Ray's career. That's when he started, you know, actually winning some fights and had some showings against some of the toughest dudes in the league. But, uh, yeah, Dave Brown. Yeah, speaking of uh, Buckler and Brown, a thing I've been doing the past couple of years, I decided to start collecting some jerseys of uh, my favorite guys, you know, just because I like wearing hockey jerseys and, you know, I like to have one of the guys I'm, I admire the most. And Dave Brown was on my radar and I was all set to get a Philadelphia number 21 Brown Jersey. And then unfortunately, uh, 11 months ago, got the bad news that Mr. Muckler passed away. And, you know, very sad to hear that, you know, having met the guy a few times and knowing his family, I was like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, that's too bad. So it made me change from getting a Philly Brown jersey to an Edmonton jersey because Brown was Mr. Muckler's main hitman when Muckler was the head coach of the Oilers, won the Cup in 90. So I guess as a strange way of, you know, not only getting a, a jersey of one of my favorite guys, but kind of a honoring Mr. Muckler in my own strange way. <laughs> Got an Oiler jersey, brown with the the 90 cup patch on it. Did you did you and, figure uh, out how to shrink the left sleeve? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should have ordered it that way. Please make sure I've got a polio arm for the left sleeve, please. I yeah. want it as realistic as possible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, there we go. Um well, man, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Like I said, I could, I could do this all day going down memory lane with you. And like I said, I remember we talked from the old message board days. And somewhere around here, there's a Y2J Phase Two tape in one of these boxes. Um, cool. Yeah, man, it's it was a, it was a lot of fun having you on. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, and hopefully we'll do this again. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was a ton of fun. And like I said, man, we could talk for a, a day. Yeah, about fighting, I'm sure. But oh, I think we could we could probably spend a day talking about the old fried chicken days and the characters that were on that board. Oh my God, what a collection of super smart, sharp people and absolute whack jobs at the same time. Oh, it was a mix. Yep. Yep. I'm glad you know, like a few of them, you still see them here and there on uh, some of the Facebook pages and 
kind of cool to touch base with them and and say hello and see how they're doing nowadays. I'm like, man, that was 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Time is flying. It does. It certainly it marches on. And the amazing thing to me is, yeah, I, I like doing the show here. I've I've reconnected with a lot of the older fans, um, the old fried chicken guys and stuff like that, and um, and the and the hockeyfights.com guys, uh, the old message boards. I it's amazing. Well, it shouldn't be amazing, but j- just for the sake of this, it it always surprises me the number of them, myself included. That just like do like considering how hardcore everyone was into the hobby and the nightly games and everything else, it is amazing how like none of them give a shit about hockey anymore and don't watch at all. Yeah, you know what? The only reason I catch any games now, uh, my brother Greg just moved back to Buffalo from New York City a year ago. He lived in New York for ten years. Die hard. Buffalo fan, just a Buffalo sports. And, you know, even though it's not great to watch, he still got season tickets anyways for the Sabre games. And we'll go with him. You know, I'll go to him or go to a game with him every now and then. And I've been to three games this season, and these are the first three games I've been to in years because it's just not not good. (laughs) It's just not fun to watch really anymore. Just, you know, the great characters are out of the game and the passion just seems very absent. Um, not that I expect it to go back to the way it was, you know, in the early 2000s and the 90s and the 80s, which was really the, the time I was a huge fan. Don't expect it to ever go back to that no. era, but oh, I would appreciate just a little taste of it every now and then. <laughs> yeah. My God, you know, I went to you know, Sabre game, and uh, I think they had two hits yep. in the game, and one was accidental. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it, the guy who, who did the hit, Rasmus Dahlin, he accidentally hit a guy on the Oilers, and it seemed like he was apologizing to him afterwards. And I'm sitting there like, oh, God, what the fuck happened to this sport? <laughs> used to be yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Oh well, we got well, to see. We ought to be thankful. We got to see the good stuff anyway. We did, and and hopefully our friend Steve gets that site going so we yep. can uh, keep the history alive. Absolutely. Well, we kept a little bit of we relived some history out today anyway. So, uh, Chris, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I won't keep you any longer. I know you're you're busy doing stuff, and uh, I have to venture out here in minus thirty seven to go buy some Christmas presents. So. I will, uh, I'll, I'll let you go, but thank you very much again for coming on the show. My pleasure. This was awesome. And, uh, thanks for having me on and hello to all the fight fans out there. Excellent. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one. You too. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 